black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How has your week been? It's been pretty good. I am, I don't even remember what happened in the last week. I do know that next week I'm off. So, so to me, that makes anything that happened in the last week just that much better. So, hey, I don't know what happened last week, but that next week is going to be fantastic. What did you do? You don't remember anything that you did this week? I just remember going to work. I mean, right now I'm in Nashville for this project that I'm working on with a friend of mine. But honestly, I feel like in the last week, all I've done is go to work and go back home. There's been really nothing interesting that's happened. Um, The American Medical Association meeting starts this week. And since it's, we were supposed to be in person. So that's why I'm off next week because we're supposed to take the whole family to Orlando and we would take Harrison to Disney. But since they moved the um, meeting to virtual one because of Florida politics and two mm-hmm. because of the numbers. Uh, we, you know, I just have those days off. So I have a couple of things planned next week, but for the most part, this weekend starts the women physician section stuff, and then next week starts or next weekend starts the uh, the real stuff with the the American Medical Association. So that's the only bad thing about the virtual aspect. It has to be broken up into two different weekends mm-hmm. as opposed to just having you know, those four or five days straight that has, you know, meetings going on at the same time. So sort of annoying because it takes up two of your weekends in November. Yeah, that kind of sucks, especially right before Thanksgiving and all of that. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. But just think next year you can go back to Orlando and you can take Harrison to Disney. We'll see. I mean, these numbers in Texas and Florida with this COVID is it's not a game. And with them trying not to mandate vaccines, These numbers are just going to go up in these two states. Hopefully the rest of the United States will actually do much better and the numbers will go down and they won't visit places like Florida this summer. But for now, the numbers are really, really bad. So we'll see. I I don't know. Do you want to bet? How much you want to bet? Do you think we're going to still be in the pandemic next year? Part of next year. For next Thanksgiving, do you think we'll still be there? No. And the reason why I say that is because I've seen a lot of uh, people on our timeline and our friends who their kids are now getting vaccinated. And honestly, this year, the majority of the people that I know that have caught COVID caught it because their kids caught COVID and brought it home from school. So I think that we're kind of getting towards the end of it, I think. I hope. I pray. I don't know. I do not see a high vaccination rate of kids. I just don't see it. Not yet. I don't see it, but maybe I don't see it because I'm in Texas. I was about to say, in Texas, you all kind of live on your own little island and do your own little thing. You can't get vaccinated or have an abortion. Texas is just a, it just needs to go head on and secede from the union, to be very honest. 
you can get vaccinated. It's just that uh, it's not mandated. So now they, they're trying to basically roll back all of those mandates that the federal government was trying to put in place. And they said, uh-uh, not, in, not on our watch, not in Texas. So there's a lot of kids not getting vaccinated. It's just, I mean, Texas, yeah. I wish that your politicians would actually have your best interest at heart. But clearly that's not a thing. But we we digress. So a couple of things. Our wonderful producer is asking me to ask you about the pill that's coming out that's supposed to help with uh, COVID. So do we think that that's going to help so that we can be out next year? Or are we like not relying on that? Not enough data. There's not enough data. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no cure for COVID. And every time we come out with the drug... So far, we've realized that it's not as effective as it's promised to be. Yeah. It's just like people that are in the ICU that are treated with remdesivir. Like now we know like it doesn't hurt, but it doesn't help as much as we thought it would help. It's actually like doesn't, it's not helpful at all in some instances. All I can say is we're holding our breath. I mean, hopefully we'll get something that cures this, but it's a virus, right? There's nothing that cures a virus. Right. It's just like the flu. I mean, we have Tamiflu, but Tamiflu is like really expensive. Some people can't afford it and people ignore their symptoms. And after the 48 hours, like it's not really effective. So even if we have something that sort of like combats the effects of COVID or how bad it can get, like are people actually going to go and get tested when they need to get tested? Are people going to, you right. know, when they don't have sense of smell and taste, are they going to go say, hey, I need to go ahead and like seek treatment. No, people are going to be like, I can, I can take, this is not too bad. It's not going to be until like day five or seven and they can't breathe that they're rushing to the ICU. I mean, cause right now people have monoclonal antibodies they can get. If you're symptomatic with mild symptoms and you test positive for COVID, when you go to the ER, they offer you monoclonal antibodies for outpatient uh, treatment. But people aren't doing that. Girl, people go to the ICU when they can't breathe. Yeah, and they're too busy trying to take ivermectin, like, yeah. <sighs> like Aaron Rodgers. So the woman sitting on the plane that lived in uh, California, but she sat on the plane with me and she was like, the reason that the U.S. has all these cases is because they won't give ivermectin, but they're giving it in India and they don't have any cases. And I was like, yeah, that's not true. India out here struggling. I was about to say, and they and they have a very different um policy about how much information can leave India. So if you all would like to believe the information that is coming out of India, thinking that ivermectin is helping them not have any cases of COVID, you're delusional, to say the least. Well, India was just on the news, like literally a couple of weeks ago with people in the streets, like dying, looking for dying. Like, oxygen. Exactly. So I'm like, what is she talking about? <laughs> But, you know, I remember way prior to COVID, I remember that when my grandparents went on a world cruise and they stopped in India, they told them, like, if you see somebody on the street that looks like they're dead, it's likely that they're dead. So, like, can we just not compare ourselves to India is what I'm saying. Like, that's probably not the best comparison, but that's just me. But that's horrible. That's I know. horrible. I know. So what did you do, Johnny? So I, as you know, I was in Richmond and I worked the polls for 13 hours straight in the rain. And, you know, now the Richmond project is over. So I returned back to my good old home of the DMV. So I did that. And I also accepted a new position. So after 21 years in media, I am officially hanging up my hat. I cannot say where I'm going yet. I'm turning over a new leaf and doing something different and new and exciting. So, yeah, this should be interesting. I haven't started yet, but it should be interesting and I'm excited. 
So now I, I, this is exciting because I didn't know you were going to put this out there. I thought that this is going to be real hush hush until you officially left your job. So when is your last day on the job? Well, that's actually kind of up in the air. It could either be on Tuesday after this episode comes out or the following Monday. So really, they would like me to start on Tuesday. And um, I would like to start as soon as possible. But I also would like to give my current job that I'm leaving the respect of giving them two weeks. But, you know, that's not always possible. Like, I'm doing my best to get that done. But, you know, contracts and things like that don't always necessarily give you the time that you need. But, yeah, I'm excited. I still get to do what I love. So it's not like I'm leaving entertainment at all. I'm just leaving the media side of entertainment. I'm going more on the fun side where I can, I feel like I can have a a greater impact. So when are you going to tell us what it is that you're doing now? As soon as it's announced, I will announce it on the podcast. As soon as the press release, the send button is pressed, I will announce exactly where I'm going and what I'm doing and what I have in store for everybody. But in the meantime, I want everyone, my last show, or my current job is going to be on the 10th. So it'll be right before this episode airs. So the people who are listening can watch it. It'll be on YouTube. If you want to check it out, it's called Kiss Fest. And if you're into hip hop, an eclectic urban show. If you want to watch it and just have some downtime or on an airplane, feel free to check it out on YouTube. That'll be my last official show for my radio career. 21 years and I'm saying goodbye. Oh, but not goodbye to entertainment. So that's good. That's good. And we're excited to see how you're going to entertain us, girl. We're excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. I I really, really enjoy challenges and I get bored often when things become a little easy for me. So in order for me to be still excited about what I do and get up and like, you know, still have that same pizzazz every morning, I needed, I needed a challenge. So I needed to make a move. You know, you know how that is, Nicole. You know how that is. I love it. I love it. All right, uh, Janine. So what's on your timeline? I mean, we don't really even really care what's on our timeline <laughs> because we're so excited about this new job. But I have to ask you, as a part of the show, what is on your timeline? Okay, so recently, James Samuel, who co-wrote the screenplay with Boaz Yakin, along with producer Sean Carter, who we better know as Jay-Z, and some other co-producers, gave us a much-anticipated movie, a Western film. Like, we were excited about this, and it was The Harder They Fall. So although the film is mostly fictional, right, the characters that are portrayed in the film are actual historic figures, like people who really existed. So the characters are based on real life, actual cowboys and outlaws in the West in the 19th century. So we were hype about this Netflix release. And it was, you know, a great movie, if I must say so myself. So if anybody knows me, I'm not a really big movie buff, right? Like I like a good movie if someone recommends it, but I'm not about to go find a movie for myself. But my best friend recommended it. Then Ken, he watched it and he was like, it's really good. I'm not really into Westerns, but I watched it and I was like, you know what? I'm here for this. So all of the hype came, right? And, that you know, we were hyped for several reasons. We were hyped because James Samuel is Seal's brother, who is also a performer in his own right. And we were hyped because, one, he gave us They Die by Dawn, which is another Black Western, which was actually really good as well. And also because Sean Carter, Jay-Z, was one of the producers 
you know, was hype. We remember that like um, premiere scene where Jay-Z turns around and sees uh, Kelly Rowland. Like we were hype about this. And then I think probably we were most hype about the fact that we had this all-star cast. So we got Jonathan Majors. We got Daniel Detweiler. We have Lakeith Stansfield. We have Delroy Lindo. We have Dion Cole. We have Zazie Beats. We have Idris Elba. And we have Regina King. Like that is an all-star black lineup. This is one of the few Westerns with an all-Black leading cast. And even with the star-studded cast, we still got criticism, of course. So, look, with any movie, there's always going to be criticism. As I mentioned, some of, the, some of this is fictional. The characters, however, are not fictional. The real people like Bill Pickett, Bass Reeves, Cathay Williams... Um, Nat Love, Treacherous Trudy, Cherokee Bill, Stagecoach Mary, all of those people actually existed. They just are in this movie, not necessarily in a historic context, but the people were actually real. So while most of the actors closely resembled the characters that they were supposed to portray, like Danielle Detweiler as Cuffy, a.k.a. Cathay Williams, the lady who actually historically is very well known for dressing up and pretending to be a man so she could fight in the war. She was pretty accurate. Idris playing Rufus, Jonathan Majors playing Nat, those were very close to what they actually appeared to be like or how, you know, we've been told that they look. Because, you know, we really didn't have like pictures and stuff back then. It was mostly drawings. But some of the actresses don't resemble the characters that they were supposed to be playing. An example is Regina King is seemingly a lot thinner and lighter than the real treacherous Trudy. But more notably, Zazie Beetz, who is a thin, light-skinned, and biracial woman, portrayed Stagecoach Mary, who we know was heavyset, dark-skinned, and she preferred to wear men's clothing. Now, in the movie, they kind of gave her a top hat, but she was constantly in a dress. Like... Not as accurate as we would like it to be. So this made people question the casting decisions of this film because people started pointing at colorism. And we've been here before. We Colorism, fat phobia, that's something that kind of swirls around in Hollywood. And specifically, it affects our African-American films. So this isn't a new practice. We know we've talked about this before. Colorism and fat phobia are something that we have unfortunately become used to. Often Black women specifically and other people of color are represented incorrectly in their stories because they just find a Black actor. Now, granted, we're a lot further than we were before. We aren't having white actors and actresses play Black people. But right now, it's almost like they're circulating the same set of Black actors and actresses and making them fit the role rather than finding people who look like the person it's supposed to be. Other examples of this that we've seen is something that Ama Poundcake brought up when we had her on the show was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Viola Davis played Ma Rainey, and granted, they got the color kind of right, but they put Viola Davis in a fat suit rather than finding a plus-size Black actress. And then also Lin-Manuel Miranda, who... He gained notoriety from Hamilton, which we all love. He completely dropped the ball on the big screen adaptation of the Broadway play 
the heights. They said that while dark-skinned Afro-Latina people largely make up Washington Heights, which is what the musical was based on, they were not portrayed. I mean, they were almost completely excluded from the film. They were they were actually completely excluded from all major roles. So with the Heights' $55 million budget that they had to produce the film, they couldn't find one dark-skinned Afro-Latina to play in the film. It, it baffles me. But again, I say all of this to say this is not something new. Hollywood and the media, both big screen and little screen, have a long history of favoring the lighter hue of skin, right? Even though we're getting more opportunities to share our stories, it seems, like I said, that they're rotating the same 5, 10, maybe 15 actors or actresses. They're not going to find people that look and or more accurately represent the stories that we are trying to portray. So dark skin or larger black women deserve to have their stories told and represented the same way that the lighter skin African-American or people of color have. And I think that it's not really going to change until some of these lighter skin, thinner actors and actresses start rejecting the roles and allowing other people who might just start be trying to get their start an opportunity to play these roles in the industry. Outside of the big screen, this has also long affected the Black community as well. It's not uncommon for us to experience colorism and or fat phobia or other forms of discrimination in our community. We know it, whether it's a job, whether it's dating. I mean, you can... People always talk about it on like dating sites where like people say, oh, I prefer. It's not a preference. It's the idea that it's been so ingrained in our mind that the closer to proximity that you are to white, the better you must be. It, it, it's affecting our community. So I think that it's vital for us to continue to shed light on these kinds of situations so that we continue to break down both the implicit and explicit bias that we have. And we must continue to hold ourselves not just others, but ourselves and others accountable for accurately representing our Black stories. What do you think, Nicole? Sometimes we got to choose our battles. And I don't think this is one that we should have chosen, to be perfectly honest. I feel like we are getting so sensitive about these types of things when we should be applauding the fact that we have an all-Black cast and Black producers who are trying to make sure that we understand the history. And let's be clear, like nobody's talking about how these people were actually like 18 to 20 years old. Like I can see if we're talking about ageism because they're all played by some old people, right? The only people that were like, I mean, Nat Love, yeah. I mean, he was a real person and he lived to be like in his 60s. But like these other people, like the Buck Gang, like they all died after like a week. So, and they were like between 18 and 20, I don't see any of those actors 18 to 20, but nobody's talking about that. Uh, Buck himself was a fair-skinned, half-Cherokee Indian person, and nobody's talking about that. So the Native American community was not represented at all in the whole movie. Not there, but we're not talking about that. Instead, we're not talking about their misrepresentation and how we're not talking about how young these people were, which is why it was so shocking. But we're we're fixated on the one character that is too light-skinned. Like, we have a real problem with colorism here. Real, real problem with colorism. And then we also have to realize that 
this is not a true story. Like Nat Love and the Buck Gang never met up in real life. Like this is not, the plot is not true. This is a fictional movie that's trying to shed some light on some factual history. Although the history that they're portraying is not true. Okay. So Nat Love is a true person. The thing that that movie did was get you to Google who every single character was and try to find out everything that they did, right? That's the point, right? We want you to go back and dive into your own history. But for it to be like, oh, Regina King should have been 15 pounds heavier because this is what her character was. Like, give me a break. People are so fixated on her shade and not thinking about, one, how she portrayed the character, or two, that all the other things that were misrepresented in that uh, in the movie that no one's paying attention to. I mean, the Native American community should be in uproar right now, but you don't hear anything from them. They're not saying anything, okay? They're just like, oh, there's a movie about the West? Oh, okay, let's go and check it out. Listen, I'm just glad that there is some representation of Black history in the Wild West and that it's number one in Netflix for what, two, three days straight now? Yeah. I'm here for that. I think that colorism is an issue and I think that we can't ignore the fact that it is a problem. It's problematic, right? Like I think that, you know, with jobs, even on the big screen with TV shows, we can see that it's much more likely for us to see a lighter skin actor or actress than it is for us to see a darker skin actor or actress. And I think that they also get propelled into stardom a lot faster. I mean, I can remember that even Amanda Lestenberg, she was an actress that they wanted her to play in Black Panther. And she actually removed herself from the process because she felt like the the roles would be better suited for people of darker complexion because of all of the way that they were producing the film and the, you know, where Wakanda was supposed to be and what she felt like, you know, the people of Wakanda would look like. And that's the kind of thing that I think that people are looking for. Like if you are a light skin actor or actress that's getting that kind of role because of your skin tone rather than a dark skin actor or actress, it's kind of, you know, we, we want them to say, you know what, why don't we give this to someone who it, who it suits better? Just call it out when we see it. Now, do I think that this particular movie should have been like the poster child for colorism? Probably not, but apparently some people did, I guess. I remember also that Zendaya spoke at BeautyCon and she said, you know, she acknowledged that she had privilege and she said that, you know, she's known as the acceptable version of black of a black girl. And that's true. And that's unfortunate. And until we get past that and get past the point of of lighter skin being more acceptable or the closer in proximity to white being more acceptable, we will continue to have these conversations again. Is this particular movie the worst case that I've seen? Not at all. I'm just kind of glad that they're telling our stories so that, as you said, Nicole, people can go Google and find out the history of who these people are, like Stagecoach Mary and Treacherous Trudy. Like, go Google them and find out who they are. And go watch the movie. The Harder They Fall is actually very, very good. Go watch it. And I, like I said, I'm not a movie buff, and I am not a fan of Westerns, but it kept my attention from start to finish. I will tell you that. All right, Jenny. So let's talk through some scenarios, why don't we? Let's do it. All right, so my first letter reads, 
Um, I was watching the Netflix series Grace and Frankie because it was recommended to me by a friend. However, as a queer man, I wish that the characters Robert and Soul were played by actual queer or gay men. I know you ladies discussed how the media underrepresents minorities. Well, to me, this is an obvious instance. I believe the characters do an okay job in not making the LGBTQ community look ridiculous, but I believe the characters would have been better developed and better served if they were better represented. I'd love to know your thoughts on this matter. Wow. Okay. Yes. I would think that if you are playing someone that is of the LGBT community, we have plenty of LGBTQ actors and actresses. Pick one of them. I agree. It's just like, you know, with the black community or just like with any other minority community, you need to select from the pool of people that represent the community in real life, like Pose. I love Pose because it is a story about the LGBT community in this specific time period, and it uses the LGBT community to tell the story. I think that's where we have to get to. to. I agree with this, with this person that wrote into us. I agree 100%. We have to get to the point that the people who are telling the stories are the people who either live the lifestyle and or represent the lifestyle, right? Because if it's like a period piece, you obviously can't have lived it, right? But I agree. And I and again, it, it's not something that I would have noticed because um, I unfortunately don't watch that show. But like, yeah, I agree 100%. If there are actors and actresses that more closely represent what you're trying to portray, go with those people. I respectfully do not agree. I feel like these are different issues. And, and I feel like as somebody that... So if I were a producer, I would be trying to find the person that could best characterize that actor and who looked like the character. So I can understand the appearance of a character and misrepresenting um, who they are on the outside. But are people going around asking, like, what is your sexual identity? And that's the thing I have the problem with. Like, if you're not out there with your sexual identity, why would I do that? That's like I'm almost like living single, right? Queen Latifah was straight back then. Did they go around asking her, was she straight or was she not straight? And, oh, you can't be Khadijah if, you, if you're not straight? No. And the thing about the LGBTQ community and sexual identity is sexual identity changes. Like, it's, it can be fluid to some. Like, you can identify as being straight, and then five years later, you're not. So I definitely do not agree with this. Um, I feel like if you say that kind of thing, then it, it has to be an instance where you have to understand that if you are of the LGBT community, then those are the only projects you should get. That means that if, if this is a straight character, you can't get mad when you don't have the part because you're not straight. Now, that wouldn't be fair, now would it? No. So I don't think that in this instance, it's fair either. And you got to realize with the whole Grace and Frankie, Lily Tomlinson is an outwardly bisexual woman, Mm. very outwardly. And she plays a straight woman there whose husband comes out as being gay. Uh, They're acting. Yeah. They're acting. You're right. If she wasn't offended, then why, you know, I mean, because she otherwise would not have gotten that role as Frankie because Frankie is not straight in real life. But she's playing a straight woman. So I feel like 
it's okay for people to say, okay, if you are lesbian or gay or queer or anything in the LGBTQ spectrum, then I should be playing those roles. But I want some of those roles over here too. Okay, it doesn't work like that, especially if we're not going around saying, okay, what's your sexuality? All right, what's your sexuality? We're not going around saying that. So we cannot... We cannot just say you only, only people that are of LGBTQ community can play people that are LGBT in real life. Come on now. We, we, we got to be more open-minded than that. Well, I, I agree. But here's, here's the question though. Is that not something that's on your like artist card? Like when you go to, to audition for these roles, does it not say in your portfolio that you are LGBTQ? I, I don't know. I, and again, this is me being ignorant. The only actors and actresses that I know that are LGBTQ are the ones that have publicly made a statement, right? So like, I guess when you think about it like that, like nobody's about to sit and ask you, are you LGBTQ? I think that's like the equivalent of asking a woman, are you pregnant, right? So those kinds of things, like, I, you know, while I think that there should be fair representation in general, um, I think that, when you bring it up like that, it's like, okay, so do you want to be pigeonholed into these just LGBTQ roles or are you okay with them being some straight people being kind of intertwined in here? I don't know. And is there, is there a a solution to it? Right? Like, is there a, a, a one size fits all solution to this problem? I don't think so. Just like with black people, like, yeah, we talk about how we want to have representation for different actors and actresses, but are they going to be as good as the ones that we have? I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it's it's going to be a case-by-case basis. And yeah, you're right. I think it would be more offensive to walk around asking people, like, are you LGBTQ? Or, you know, are do you feel comfortable doing this role? And then also... When we have straight roles, are we going to discriminate against them and say that only straight people can have the straight roles? I think that, you know, casting is one of those things where you have a budget and you do the best that you can. And the people that come out and audition for the roles and the people that you that you handpick for the roles are the people that you're familiar with, just like anything else. You know, with any job, let's take it out of Hollywood, with any job, you pick the best candidates that are placed in front of you. If they're not placed in front of you, you can't pick from what you don't see. Just saying. I agree. So, Janine, here we go with your letter. <laughs> Mine is very different. So this one says, and and go with me, Nicole, because when I first read this, I actually thought about not using this letter, but go with me. It says, ladies, I'm a 42-year-old dark-skinned Black woman from Central PA. I can't recall a point in my life where my skin did not affect me. I got teased in school because I was the only black person. I also got treated differently at home because I was the darkest of my siblings. The constant remarks and ridicule began to take a toll on me, and I started bleaching my skin in high school, and I began getting laser skin lightening treatments in college. With the treatments and lighter makeup, I've almost completely transformed my original appearance. I was elated when I went to my class reunion and almost no one recognized me. I even had a child with my best friend, who is white, to ensure 
that my daughter did not go through the same skin issues that I had to endure. I recently met and fell in love with an amazing black man who is everything that I could have ever asked for. He provides for me, and he's basically the yin to my yang. The issue is, we are expecting a child together, another girl, and I'm almost sure she's going to be dark-skinned. How do I overcome my issues with my skin and teach her to be confident in the skin that she's in? She needs counseling right now. And we appreciate you listening to the show. But baby girl, you have some deep-rooted self-hatred in there. And we don't want you treating your child like she is not the princess or the queen that she is. And we want you to get counseling so that you can love your real skin. Now, whether you have completely bleached your skin and you've taken chemical pills so you are permanently basically cause yourself to have vitiligo. I don't know. Like, I don't know the extent of your skin bleaching, okay? But your daughter is going to grow up in a household that has only light-skinned women. And she's going to think that that is the idea of beauty because you went and had another child just so they can be light-skinned. And now you're going to have this chocolate daughter around and you think that you're going to be able to look at her and see beauty when you couldn't look at yourself and see beauty. You need to go to counseling. And I think you need to go to counseling right now to figure out what it is that makes you have this level of self-hatred. You really, really do. And I mean, that's really the only thing I can tell you because yes, we can tell you to encourage your daughter and have her look in the mirror and tell her she's beautiful and always uh, you know, tell her to defend herself when people tease her and things like that. But realistically, you don't know what to tell her because you didn't do it yourself. And you didn't endure it yourself. So you need counseling. You need to figure out what's going on with you in the inside. There's no patchwork for this. Counseling. And it's going to take more than just a little bit of counseling. Long-term counseling is what you need. I agree. I, I would like to give you props, though. I would like to give you props because you acknowledge that there, this is something that you need to work on, that you acknowledge that you're about to have a dark-skinned daughter and you don't want her to have the same issues that you had. I have to give you props for that because a lot of people who are in these kinds of situations, they just continue to perpetuate the colorism and the hatred that they have for themselves and then it then passes on to their children. So I appreciate the fact that you are acknowledging that this is not the route that you want to go and you do not want your daughter to endure the same thing that you've endured. However, I am 100% with Nicole. You have to get counseling. There is an issue that you have with, now granted, you kind of explain to us where it came from. Being raised in a predominantly white environment with your parents and your family being lighter and you're the darkest person. I get that. I get that. But we have to overcome our childhood trauma so that we can go on to be, live full, whole, complete lives and not past these kinds of traumatic experiences onto the next generation. Look, from personal experience, I was raised, my parents are pretty much my complexion, but I'm dark, right? Like I'm not light-skinned. I don't have wavy hair. I have kinky hair. And I was raised in an environment that was predominantly white. I It took a while, but I had to learn that I'm comfortable with who I am because I am amazing. No matter what color my skin is or how kinky my hair is, God made me like this. He took the time to make me 
the way that I am and did not make a duplicate me because he knew the world couldn't handle that part. But my point is, he made you the way that, that you are. And he is going to make your your soon to be born child the way that she is. And you have to express to her that she's perfect just the way that God made her. And I suggest that you and your entire family, not just specifically you, I feel like everybody needs to, needs counseling. And this should probably be ongoing counseling because this trauma did not happen overnight. So it's probably going to take some time to unwind and unravel all of this trauma that uh, has gotten you to that point. But God bless you and God bless your your baby girl that you're about to have. And you know what? We just know that this will turn around and you will be comfortable in your skin and your daughters will both be comfortable in their skin. And you all will go on to be a, a beautiful black family that that displays all of the arrays of colors that black people can be. We wish you the best. We hope that that's the case, but that's not always the case. Listen, I have seen so many women suffering with these like with this like colorism. So if you don't do the work, it may not be kumbaya. You need to some self-reflection. I give you props for realizing that you have a problem. Well, actually, I don't know if you realize you have a problem because it sounds like you want to make sure that your daughter doesn't have the same issues you have, but self-reflection is needed here. I know Janine did this like warm welcome kumbaya to tie it all in, but you got to do your work. It's not just going to be, you know, oh, we're going to be represent the colors of the rainbow. Uh-uh. If you don't do the work, you will have a, a little dark-skinned girl in your house that doesn't look like the rest of y'all that will be hating herself because you did not continue to, to, to be the way that God made you, but you want your daughter to be the way that God made her. Mm-mm. Can't have that double standard. And you may have to fess up to your daughter when she's of age, like, hey, I used to have self-hatred, and I don't want you to go through this. And this is what I did to myself. This is not the real me. Because she's going to see baby pictures, and she's going to see pictures when you're little, and they're not going to look like who you are now. So you're going to have to figure out some explaining to do and be truthful with her when she grows up. Anyway, I know I'm on a soapbox, but... I understand. I get it. Like, just be who you are. And I don't know that you can reverse the lightning that you've already done to your skin. I don't know how that really works. I hope that you find peace in your own skin. And I hope that your children find peace in the skin that they're in as well. All right, Janine, what did you learn new this week? So according to market research firm Zion, global sales for skin lightning products are expected to reach $8.9 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars by 2024. So in two years, people will be spending, now this is globally, not just in the U.S., $8.9 billion on products to lighten their skin. And in 2017, we spent about $4 billion, again, with a B, on skin lightening products. Y'all, can we just be comfortable in the skin that we're in? God made us nice and chocolatey brown for a reason. And our Caucasian counterparts are outside tanning so that they can look like us. So be comfortable with your skin. Just enjoy. God made you, you, uniquely you. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? You know, I think it's interesting that everybody tries to be somebody else, but I digress. So two things I learned this week. One, Sam Lucas was the first black actor to play a lead role in Uncle Tom's Cabin in 1878. So that was great. And he looked chocolatey. Okay. And the second thing I learned about was straight washing 
aka het washing, is portraying the LGBTQ or otherwise queer characters in fiction as heterosexual, making LGBTQ people appear heterosexual, or altering information about historical figures to make sure make the representation comply with heterosexual motivity. Didn't know that there was an actual word, but I learned that that was an actual thing. Wow. Me neither. I had no idea. All right. Are you ready for the motivational moment? Yes, ma'am. And it reads, Jim Morrison, American singer, poet, and songwriter, said, whoever controls the media controls the mind. And he was right. This is why it is so important to listen to and support Black producers and Black-owned networks, like this podcast network, to make sure they flourish. It's hard to misrepresent who you really are. When you don't support Black networks and Black-owned ventures, it's like not supporting yourself. Let's do better. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye! Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production.